0: You're listening to a podcast from York City Church. If you like what you hear and you'd like to find out more, please visit our website at www.yorkcitychurch.org.uk This morning I'm going to be speaking to us in the the latest section apart from uh, a little series on the book of Philippians, uh, which is a letter that Uh, a man called Paul, an early Christian leader, wrote to a church in the city of Philippi in probably more or less exactly the middle of the the first century. Um, Paul's writing from prison, probably from Rome, where he was chained to a a Roman centurion, if he indeed was in Rome. Uh, He planted the church in Philippi, so he cared very deeply for it. He took a sort of parental uh, approach and attitude towards the Christians in Philippi. And so his concern is to... Well, A, to write and thank them for a very generous gift that they have sent to him uh, by the hand of a man called Epaphroditus, uh, but also to encourage and build them up and to strengthen them and to speak into their lives, because he's heard from Epaphroditus that As in all churches, things are going on, and all churches need instruction and teaching and encouragement. Uh, And so that's where we've got to. Now, uh, I did say that this would take us up to August. I think I probably lied. Uh, It's probably going to take a little bit longer than the few weeks in July that we've got left, because we're still in chapter 1. This is what happens when you start unpacking a New Testament epistle. Every single paragraph, you realise, wow, this is actually quite Deep. So, uh, so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, and it's nice to not cram scripture into a pre existing framework and might make it work like that anyway. So we'll, we'll roll with it for the time being. Oh, I need to get my phone out to control the keynote. That's helpful. That so today we're going to be in verses 27 to 30, or maybe more likely just verses 27 and 28. Uh, a little bit of background to the city, uh, to, uh, the, to the book of Philippians, and to particularly, I guess, the, the city of Philippi, where the church was based. Um, Philippi was a, a Roman colony. But what that meant basically was the, the Roman Empire had sort of grabbed and owned Philippi. It was probably taken in battle at some point, and now it stands as as a colony, uh, as a a place that is supposed to reflect something of Rome in Philippi. Now, that would have meant that most of the, the residents there, including the church community, were citizens of Rome, therefore. And uh, that gave you quite considerable kudos in the ancient world. To be a Roman citizen is a pretty big deal. It would give your social status a little bit of a boost. I mean, it's possibly not dissimilar to the kind of, uh, the, the sort of slightly self-righteous smugness that we can feel as being citizens of York. <laughs> very nice, thank you very much. You know, we don't live in other unmentionable places, but we live in York, and that's very nice. Well, being a Roman citizen would have been quite some thing. But the whole idea of colonizing a city and of citizenship wasn't so much to do with boosting the individual's ego. It wasn't just that Rome wanted a bunch of people who felt quite good about themselves because they were citizens. The whole goal of colonization was to transform a city into mini-Rome. And as the citizens of the colony embraced and practiced the culture and the values of Rome in their city, as they honored Caesar as Lord, which if you were going to be a Roman citizen, you indeed had to do, then what would happen is that your city would begin to look and feel like Rome. The sights, the sounds, the symbols, which are very important, the language that both creates and sustains the values of Rome. Citizenship and colonization was a really, really big deal. And the idea was that nobody thought, well, we'll spend some time in Philippi, and then we'll go back to Rome at the end of our lives. No, the idea was that this is being in Rome. To be in the colony is to be in Rome, pretty much. And so what we find is that the church in Philippi, as a church in a city that was a colony, and as citizens of Rome knew all about citizenship and being part of another bigger and more dominant reality. And that kind of background gives Paul's letter to the church in Philippi quite a lot of additional depth and significance. Now, please don't misunderstand me. You don't need to be an ancient historian in order to understand the message of Philippians, You don't need to have done a PhD in Greco-Roman sociology or or anything to to know what Paul is talking about or to, to glean from it. But knowing some things about the background can certainly add a layer of richness to our understanding and our interpretation of this ancient text. So I want to show you just one way this morning that some background knowledge and information can help with a reading Philippians. Okay, so verse 27 says this. Oh, is that going to move on again? No, okay. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Okay, that's how the NIV translation puts Philippians 1 verse 27. Let me read to you now. This is the NRSV translation. Only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Okay, it's pretty similar, isn't it? Not really much going on there. Not the big difference, particularly. But let me give you perhaps a slightly more literal, and maybe a bit of a, a paraphrase, but based on a bit of a literal kind of translation of one word. This is, this is what we could say is being said here. Only be worthy citizens of the gospel of Christ. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, hang on a minute, Rose. You've, you've read to us the NIV, and then you've read to us the, the NRSV, and then you've given us an OWL's paraphrase and said that that is a more literal translation. Are you saying, Rose, that your reading of this text is better than the translation committees that come up with the NIV? and No, I'm not saying that at all. Of course not. Uh, both good translations in their own way. But I do think that both translations have somewhat missed a trick when they have interpreted, because all translation is an interpretation, by the way. When they have translated, interpreted this text, they've missed something. Because the word that, here I've got, being worthy citizens of the gospel of Christ, it's the same worded Greek that shows up in chapter 3 of Philippians where Paul says, but our citizenship Is in heaven. Okay? Only be worthy citizens of the gospel of Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. And understanding something about Philippi as a colony and Roman citizenship, it seems to make sense to understand that Paul is talking about citizenship not just living a good moral life, he's talking about something that the Philippians really know about and understand. And so to miss out that that word, citizen or citizenship, somehow obscures or makes it a little bit more difficult to grasp some of the deeper resonances that are going on in this letter. Be worthy citizens of the gospel of Christ. Our citizenship is... In heaven. Now, I think it's really genuinely hard to overestimate the importance of what Paul is saying here. So far in, you might be thinking, "I don't really, I don't see how that could be that important." Well, let me try and help you see. Paul is asking this church, a church, remember, that's living in a Roman colony, as citizens of Rome, to both remember and to live out of their deepest loyalty which is not loyalty to Caesar and the Roman Empire, but loyalty to Jesus Christ. It's not loyalty to Rome as good Roman citizens, but loyalty to Jesus as citizens of heaven. Can you see the tension? It's possible that in Philippi, there was quite a lot of, yes, kudos and, and, and kind of uh, status that went along with being a citizen, But being a Christian would have meant that there was quite a lot of opposition as well. And in fact, we see that in verse 30. Paul talks about your opponents. It's possible that for these Roman citizens who have become Christians, becoming a Christian is a bit of a challenge. And perhaps there's a temptation. Because it's hard to be a Christian in a world that confesses other lords, you just soft Peddle pedal that. You downplay it. You just lean a little bit back into your Roman citizenship and you have this privatised religion on the side which you enjoy in your own home but doesn't affect anybody else. Does that sound familiar at all to anybody who's a Christian in Britain in the 21st century? I think so. Paul wants the church to live out of a sense of citizenship that is marked by and defined by God's reality, the kingdom of God and the gospel of Christ. You are citizens of heaven and you worship a different Lord, not Caesar, but Jesus Christ. But beyond just that, Paul's expectation for the church is that they understand and know something about why they even exist. You see, Paul's kind of hinted at the reality that the church is a colony of heaven. You're a citizen of heaven, and the church in Philippi is a little colony of heaven there. Just as Philippi is a colony of Rome, the church is a colony of heaven. And just like the idea in Philippi is not to spend a few years in Philippi and then finally go back to the motherland of Rome, the idea of the church as a colony is not to hang out for a little bit, make it through by the skin of your teeth and then beam me up to heaven in the end. The idea is that the church as a colony of heaven brings the values and the priorities of God's kingship in Jesus into the location where they are. Paul wants the Philippians to colonize Philippi with God's values. That's profound and deeply, deeply subversive because they're Roman citizens too. Friends, I want us to realize this. I want us to realize something about the very thing that makes the New Testament tick, that the church is not a club It's not a service provider. It's not something that you just attend. I go to this place. It's a colony. It's a city in a city. It's a place where heaven's values, the values and priorities of the kingship of Jesus are worked out. And then from the gathered church are worked out in the city, subverting every other priority and value. I want us to have some sense of dignity, the status and worth that goes along with being a citizen of heaven. For us as a church to get a hold of, again, a sense of this is the reality of our lives. We're here not just to hide from York. We're, we're here to, today not just to add something to our comfortable lives in a nice city, We're here to colonize York with the values and priorities of God. Now, the way that Paul sees this all unfolding is by the church community living lives that are worthy of the gospel. He says, then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you... Oh, hang on, sorry, nope, gone too far ahead. Uh, Like living lives that are worthy of the gospel as citizens of heaven. But what does Paul mean? What does he mean by living lives that are worthy of the gospel? What he doesn't mean is that you have to try really hard to earn the favor of God. Well, of course not. Favor is favor, it's grace, it's given, it's gifted. You don't earn gifts. You're just given, received freely. We have the favor of God, the grace of God. So worthiness, it can't be that. Paul would be contradicting so much of what he says elsewhere if he means what you've got to do, church, is now really prove that you're worthy of it. The key is in understanding what the word worthy here means. Paul uses a Greek word, axios. It's an easy word to remember. And if you want a nice picture that will help you to understand what axios means, you don't have to look very far. I'm sure you've probably seen before those old school scales, right? In the kitchen. Or maybe you've been to, I think like Castle Howard and places like that have them in their kitchen. Right? And amongst the old ancient antiquities, they've got like scales. And you know the idea. You put a weight on one side and then you put like a, a slab of cheese or butter or something on the other, and you and it, it balances, hopefully. Now, when it balances, that's called axios in Greek. That's what the word means: balance, equilibrium. There is a sort of a congruence between the two things. They're not out of balance. They're not out of whack somehow. And so when Paul talks about living lives that are worthy, that are axios of the gospel of Christ, what he simply means is live out of the reality of who you are in Christ. You're citizens of heaven. You belong to the Lord Jesus So therefore, live out of that. Allow that reality to be the thing that shapes your life and your decisions, your emotions, your choices, your relationships, everything. I think that the temptation was probably pretty strong in Philippi to prioritise Roman citizenship over heavenly citizenship, especially when you're under the cosh a little bit too, especially when there's pressure Perhaps opposition, even. Must have been hard to not want to use your Roman citizenship for your own advantage somehow. And so Paul exhorts, encourages. Paul knows that to get too cozy with Rome is a dangerous game to play for a Christian. To be a citizen of heaven means giving sole allegiance to Jesus as Lord, living out of that allegiance. That's what worthiness is. Prioritizing his values as obedience to the gospel. You can't serve more than one Lord as a Christian. And where Rome like, in, insists upon honoring Caesar, Paul insists. Christians honour Jesus as Lord. And to colonise Philippi with the values of Jesus means to live out of that sense of allegiance, to be a people who worship and obey Jesus, whose lives are worthy. There's a balance between what we say and what we do, between our confession and our practice. I don't need to tell you that it's really difficult, right? Anyone who's been a Christian for any amount of time at all, apart from maybe sort of thirty seconds, knows that it's easy to confess things, much harder to do them, that rhetoric is cheap, but actions, praxis, doing is costly. And this is more than just about individuals and their own feelings of guilt or failure or success or whatever else it might be. This is, this is about God's intention to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea, to, to pinch from Isaiah, to colonize the earth, to fill York with the knowledge of his values and priorities and purposes. And guess what? You and I are implicated in it as Christians. We're called to participate in that very thing. And we're not called to do it by suddenly running out into the street one Sunday morning, setting up a stage, singing a couple of the latest worship songs, blazing a message, and then running back to our building again and disappearing for a year. <laughs> oh, well, that it were that easy, right? We're called to live such lives, to quote from 1 Peter, amongst the pagans, amongst people who don't worship Jesus, that they see the reality of the confession of Christ in our lives, and they're compelled to worship Jesus as well. That's way more challenging and costly, isn't it? It's easy, in a sense, to run out and to put on an appeal. It's much harder to live faithfully before your friends, neighbours, colleagues, family for a lifetime How does then Paul see the church? Actually, how does the church actually live out lives that are worthy of the gospel? Well, this is where we move on to the next verses. Paul's in jail, remember, so he says, "Well, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel." Here's the key in this verse. It's unity. Togetherness. Oneness. The key to the Philippians living worthy of the gospel as citizens of heaven is unity. And Paul expresses two important ways that unity should work here in this verse. He wants the Philippians to stand firm in the one spirit... And to work together as one for the gospel. The second of those literally means to athletically strive with energy and vigor and zeal for the faith of the gospel. I know many of us in City Church are quite inclined towards fitness and running. I look on with great jealousy because the metal in my leg will not permit it. Striving for a better 5K time. Striving to be stronger. Kieran. I know. Striving to be fitter, healthier. And Paul uses this same kind of language. Energetically strive. It's an athletic metaphor. Church, strive together. Be athletes together for the sake of the gospel. That's, that's unity You've got a mission together. You're here for a reason. Fight for it together. Train together. Exercise together for the sake of the gospel. Make that the priority. That's the second of the two unities. The first one, though, is to live out of the unity that comes from being united to Jesus by means of the Spirit. Standing firm In one spirit. You know, for Paul, the spirit is the thing that makes somebody a Christian. There's no such thing as a Christian without the Holy Spirit, because to confess that Jesus is Lord requires the Holy Spirit to give you insight and understanding that Jesus is indeed Lord and God, and to confess and worship him as such. So he's not talking about experience per se here. He's talking about the sense of, look, you have been baptized in one spirit, into one body, into Christ. So stand firm in that sense of oneness that you glean from being in the spirit together. And I want to make a suggestion that isn't explicit in the commentaries that I've read on Philippians. But I think that we could take it this way. Now, bear in mind, this this is my take on it. This is not a commentary It's not the only thing that you can say. But I think it perhaps makes sense to see that Paul thinks that the way that the Spirit's unity is best outworked in the church is the church's missional unity. So in other words, what Paul thinks unity in the Spirit is like is a church together fighting for the gospel in their location. It's not about whether they have great experience. In fact, in Corinth, another of Paul's churches, he can write to them, and it's, a, and it's a car crash because the experience of the Spirit is causing disunity and division. And Paul has to go, oh, guys, it's one Lord, one Spirit, one body. Come on, he gives them like a, you know, a written slap. Sort yourselves out. So here in Philippians, it's like if you, you're in one Spirit, You want to know what it looks like to express that? We'll strive together with one heart and soul and mind for the gospel. That's the thing where the unity is expressed. It flows out from the spirit, but it's given shape by your shared mission together. I wonder if that's how you see it. I wonder if that's a bit of a challenge to you. That the one spirit leads to striving together as one for the one gospel. Is that where it is for you? Or has it become about my experience? Because God's heart is to colonize the city by means of a people who in one spirit energetically fight, contend for the faith of the gospel as one people. We've all experienced an awful lot of disconnection and I guess disunity in the past 16, 17, 18 months. And there's no surprise really that we're all suffering to some extent because of that. Perhaps you feel at the moment, this is wonderful. It feels like being born again, again. (laughs) To be in church together, wow. Perhaps you're still struggling. Perhaps the absence of singing is like having your soul ripped out somehow. (laughs) I can understand that. But what would Paul be saying to us today? What is... The Holy Spirit saying to us through Scripture, through this Scripture? Well, I think the Spirit would give us a fresh nudge, brothers and sisters, a fresh urge onwards, a fresh shunt, prod, goad <laughs> into being more energetic in our expression of Christian mission in the city. I think the Holy Spirit would want to remind us again that we're here not to make our own lives tolerable in the world, but to bring that sense of the reality of God and the kingdom of God to bear in this physical place called York. I think that the Spirit would want to show us and highlight for us that community as Christians is not just being together and doing stuff, as wonderful as that is, but the community exists for the sake of the gospel penetrating the darkness of the world. So in these very times in which we are alive, how can you as an individual and how can we corporately as a church make some fresh steps of striving together for the gospel as we seek to colonize York with heaven's values and priorities? That's the kind of question I think that texts like this pose to us as Christian believers. Not some niceties of Paul from the first century that we can explore and leave in the first century, You know, the great modern fallacy about history is that you can wrap yourself in some bubble and go back in time and explore everything, rationally, of course, without any kind of prejudice. That's tricky. And then come back untouched into the world in which we live and go, oh, well, that's nice. They believe that's very nice. But here's the reality. There's only one world. We live in one world, a God-created world, And history is not something just in the past, but there is this flow of experience, human experience and tradition and the purposes of God. And so as we read an ancient text, it should resonate more deeply with us than just, oh, well, that happened once. Especially a God-breathed text, it does something in us. It produces something in us. It somehow fires in us the same kind of thing that Paul wanted to fire in the church in Philippi. Maybe you're struggling for a sense of unity at the moment in the church. It's been hard, hasn't it? Maybe it's been difficult for you. Maybe there's... 10,000 reasons, (laughs) 10,000 reasons for my heart to find, 10,000 more reasons for my heart to find to be disgruntled. I mean, maybe 20,000 more. There's always stuff, isn't there? Uh, And it's been tricky. Maybe you're struggling for a sense of being joined, connected, feeling part of it all at the moment. Well, I want to end with just a couple of encouragements from what we've heard about this text, from what Paul says, from what it means for us to hear this in our own contemporary setting, what it means to think about unity and togetherness and things. First up is this. It's possible, you know, that, that, you're, just, that you're not in the right church. And I say that with all tenderness so with no, no hint of blame or finger-pointing at all. It's possible, okay? Do I think that being in city church is a good place for you to learn to love God, a neighbor, to grow in your faith, to grow in your understanding of scripture, to express community and participate in the mission of God in the city? Yeah, of course I do. Of course I do. I would be a fool. What, would I, what am I doing if I don't think that? Of course I think that. But it's possible that this is not the place for you. People's preferences are different. Worship's too loud, too long, too intense. It's not spiritual enough. It's too much Holy Spirit. The preacher's too long, the preacher's too short. The leaders are too young, the leaders are too old. There's too many young people, there's not enough young people. There's nobody my age, there's too many people my age. <laughs> None of those are theological values, by the way. They're all just preference pieces. So it may feel that you genuinely feel, I just don't actually quite belong. And if that's true for you, it's okay. It's completely okay. What we'd like is for you to come and talk to us. To come and say, do you know, Al, Mark, Pete, 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 Pete. Pete I'm really sorry. I'm, just, I'm struggling. I really want to give myself here, but I'm just—it just it just doesn't feel like it's working for me. We're not going to go, oh, you wretched sinner. We'll say, wow, we're really sorry to hear that. Let us help you find somewhere that's a good fit. Because we care about you. We want the best for you. We want you to be in a place where you can grow in God and learn to love and serve and be served and all the rest of it. Okay? So if you don't feel the connection, don't sit at the back complaining. Come and talk to us. Because we love you and we want you to grow. You know, if you're not honest, and here's the, here's the ironic thing, if you're, if you're dishonest then it creates a context for serious heart issues to breed. And that can lead to disunity and divisiveness that grieves the spirit. And none of us want that. So come and talk to us if you need to. The door's open, metaphorically speaking. Now here's a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a remarkable man who resisted the Nazi movement during the war uh, and wrote a lot about discipleship he actually ended up in a concentration camp because of his outspokenness and his resistance to to the Nazi regime Bonhoeffer said this Christian community is not an ideal which we must realise it is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate I rather like that You may feel that you're not in the right place. Most of us, I think, are in the right place here at City Church. But what we need to do is start stepping up again, start moving forward again, start taking ownership again of what the One Spirit is doing in this local church. It's not the time for shrinking back now, It's a time for taking more responsibility, even if that just means a minute piece of responsibility. Take some. Take some ownership. Refuse in your heart to be a passenger or a patient or a guest in a hotel. (laughs) All of those things are fine if you're in a hotel or a hospital or a railway carriage, But this is a living, breathing community of the Spirit called to participate together in love and service and making known the gospel of Jesus as we seek to colonize the city with the values of heaven. You can't be a passenger in that. You can't just sit and let it all go over your head in that. Again, talk to us. Let us help you. Let us encourage you. Let us help you to discover your gift, how you can actually tangibly fit into being a part of this community instead of just checking your ticket and saying, thank you, have a good journey, sir. We don't get to realise in the sense of make it all happen, Christian community or mission, by taking responsibility, but we do get, by the grace of God, And with a fresh sense of urgency and faith, we do get to participate in something that God has done and is doing. And I think that is the invitation of the Holy Spirit to each and every one of us this morning. Come again and participate, put away the grumbles, talk to somebody, ask for help. Say, I don't feel like I fit in. Am I in the right place? Say, I do really feel in the right place. Can you help me to express that in a fresh way? And by the grace of God, in his love and his mercy, we will grow into a people that are radically transforming our city through faith in him and confession of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray for just one moment and then we will end and you can collect the kids and break bread as we exit the building. Lord, we want to honor you this morning. Thank you that your spirit in us means that we get to confess you as Lord. We confess that we couldn't have arrived at that by ourselves, that we couldn't have stumbled upon it, we couldn't have worked it out, but you've revealed it to us. We want to ask you that as you have made us to be citizens of heaven and as you have made us to be a colony of heaven in York, please grant us fresh energy in the spirit. Father, I pray for those on the sidelines, passengers, guests, patients. Lord, may you stir up a fresh sense of ownership, responsibility, Lord, we pray that you'd grow this community, that more and more people would come to know the Lord Jesus through the witness of York City Church, and that York would change slowly but surely through our witness and through our subverting all the crazy, crooked, messy values of the world. Help us, teach us, grow us, mature us, that we might be the people that you intend for us to be. In the mighty name of Jesus and for his sake alone. Amen. Amen. All right, we're done by breaking bread on the way out. Uh, thanks so much, guys. It's lovely to be with you again. I look forward to seeing you next week when we get into Philippians chapter 2. Ta-da! Have a great week.